Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Good to have those that are joining us on the live stream on YouTube and Facebook as well. Appreciate uh, you uh, joining with us. Hey, just want to give you a quick update. You know, we don't, we don't give updates to everybody that is sick because it take, you know, take too long to do that. But Meryl Dini Thornton have been in this church for 60 years or more and, and, um, stalwarts in this church many of you know them and those of you that don't um they are uh been the backbone and of this church for a long long time and at 93 and 88 years of age have had a very very serious car accident and pastor mike and i saw them several times i think i saw them six times last week and that that tells you uh the the seriousness of it of for me to go six six times last week and uh, it's just sad. Uh, I'm, and there's nothing we can do. We can pray for them. Uh, there's nothing we can do. I just wish uh, I could do something to help them. Um, Adini's injuries are um, significant. Uh, nothing really they can do for her because broken ribs and broken vertebrae will have to heal on their own. And um, um, she will probably be moved to rehab tomorrow because there's really nothing the hospital is doing for her that they can't be done in rehab and that gets to be a medicare issue sooner or later and the the, the move is pretty traumatic for her um because of the pain um of broken ribs and three broken vertebrae that just the pain of the move and the pain of the ambulance ride to wilmington and i just just pray for him friends uh, Merrill is is you know Merrill woke up after three days of having a concussion or shock or something. I don't really know if we know what really why he was out for three days, but he can't swallow because of some issues that he has here. They think that'll that'll take care of itself in a few days. He he's he's responding properly and back to his normal sweet self and cutting up and and all that kind of stuff. And gives my wife a big kiss on her hand when she comes in and uh, just sweets people in all the world and. Um, Joe Bowman has uh, been transferred to Xenia Rehab over on Wilson, and he'll be there for, I guess we don't know how long that Joe will be there, but um, especially in the case of Merrill you know, you can't be human if you don't ask questions why. And as Christians, we shouldn't avoid those questions. Uh, there's no answers to those now. We, we shouldn't make believe like we don't have them, but there's no answers to those. I don't care who your pastor is, he's not going to be able to answer that question, and um, we have to leave that with the Lord. Um, um, we don't think like he does. And, and um, this is a faith walk. This is never a walk that we're going to totally figure out in our heads. Um, this is a faith walk. And um, if, you don't, um, if you don't leave things like this with the Lord, your faith will be sabotaged because you'll grow bitter on why this has happened and we could fill in a lot of things under the why this has happened and most of you in your families have had some things like that why 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 and i don't know the answer to that and i don't even attempt to answer that question but i'm just telling you that um to guard to make sure your faith is not sabotaged you have to to make sure you guard your heart against that because all of these unanswered questions that there is no earthly answer for uh, will, will can make you a bitter Christian, and I can call names out to you right now that people that have had difficulties in their life and they turn their back on the Lord because of of that thing. And that was, uh, you know, I, I I get that that was seemed like an injustice and all that, but um, you got to leave those things with the Lord. 
There's no, there is no other answer to that. And if you don't leave those things with the Lord, tell me what better solution you have for that. How, how is backing up on the Lord and getting all mad at it, how's that going to help the situation, you know? What better solution? I've already prayed, you know, I've already played the other side of the record. There's nothing to play on that side of the record anymore. There's nowhere to go over there. So guard your heart against things like this and pray for them. That's about all we can do. If you choose to go visit uh, Deanie when she gets to Wilmington, I don't even know the name of the place. We'll give it to you as soon as we can. But um, if you choose to visit, probably short visits are better than uh, She's just uncomfortable, you know. And if you're uncomfortable, you don't treasure visitors, you know. And I'm sad. I'm really sad. So we leave that with the Lord to, um, to make sure that bitterness and, uh, of, of unanswered questions doesn't come into our hearts. So that leads us to our scripture today, which is, which is uh, Proverbs 4.23. Well, one way that you, your heart will be, sab- that you can sabotage your faith if you do not guard your heart. The, the, the scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Other translations will say, for it is the wellspring of your life. For all the issues of life flow from that, depending on the translation that you choose on that. I look back, and this is the third time in ten and a half years of preaching that I preach this same passage to you. And you would say, well, with all the passages in Scripture that you haven't taught to us, Mark, why are you coming back to this one the third time? Because it says, above all else. Above all else, guard your heart. And, and I could take time, I think as I've done before, and, take, and talk to you about that you need to guard your heart against bitterness and unforgiveness. And there's so many things you need to guard your heart against, wandering eyes. And there's so many things that you need to guard your heart against. But I thought I'd stay right in this passage today and not dwell from the passage and just say what the context says to us in this whole issue about guarding our hearts. So let, let's read the, the, the eight verses that are in the context of that. So many times that verse gets pulled out, and that's a verse that we've heard before, and that's a verse that we've heard preached. But that's part of a context there of eight verses. So let's go through this, Amy, if we could. My son, this is Solomon, who is writing to uh, his, his, uh, his boy, his own son. Okay? My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words, and my words in that uh, context would be to God's words that he's trying to share with him. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. And verse 22 says, For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And then we have the verse that I've already read. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And then we go to some ways to guard your heart in the next four verses. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought. The King James and some older translations here will say ponder. Ponder is an old word, okay, but it's a good word. Ponder. Ponder the path of your feet. 
Give careful thought. Fine translation. Ponder the path of your feet. Uh, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot free from evil. That's the whole context, and I'm going to stay right there. And there's several things I want to pull out from that today. The first thing I want that this passage says is to know your heart because it says from it all the issues of life. Uh, your, biblically, your heart is just not the thing that pumps blood throughout your body, biblically. When, when the Bible talks about your heart, it talks about the very decision-making part of you, okay? When the Bible talks about your heart, it talks about the control center of your life. It's not talking about biologically the thing that pumps blood from your head to your toes, okay? Even though we all know that's true. But when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the, the, the command center of your life, the things that make you do what you want to do. And Solomon says to his boy, says to his son, he says, above everything else, above everything else, keep watch, which would be a good translation of that verse as well. Guard your heart. We lock our cars. Many of you did when you came in today. You locked your home when you left. But keep watch. Keep a lock on your heart and be careful what goes into it. Now, that doesn't mean guard your heart and don't, um, don't ever... Um, uh, risk your heart being broken. That's not at all, has no idea what it's talking about. That, that, that doesn't mean stay aloof and don't ever invest your heart in anything. It has nothing to do with what it means. Okay? It means be careful what you think about way down in here because where you really make decisions is not up in here, it's down in here. We know a lot of things in life, but we don't do them even though we know them. We act on what's here. We act on what's right here. And the true uh, thing in our life is not self-discipline. The true thing in our life is not gritting the teeth and do it where I want to or not. That may last for a little bit. The true thing in our, our life is we act on the desires of our heart. And what are the desires of your heart? And whatever they are above all else, be careful what they are. When I was a basketball coach, I, I, I said to the kids, I said, I need your hearts. I need you to play with all your hearts. That wasn't, that wasn't at all talking about the thing that pumped blood. I was talking about every single bit of them, their inside, their guts, that whatever made them do what they did on the basketball court. I need your hearts. And that's what the Bible's speaking of when it says, above everything else, you need to be careful. Know that your heart is, is the command center of your life. And be very careful about your heart. Now, how do you know what your heart wants? Well, what do you think about when you don't have anybody, anything to think about? When you're not trying to be Christian in front of somebody and you're not trying to look like a good little Christ follower in front of somebody and you're just home by yourself, where does your heart go? That's an indication of what's really in your heart. That's an indication of what's truly in your heart. When, when you don't have to impress anybody, when it's just you, what are those things that you may not even tell anybody else, including your spouse? Those are the things that are in your hearts. And the Bible says, above all else, be careful about those things. Because it, it, if your heart drifts, you sabotage. You sabotage your faith. There's lots of verses I'm going to share with you very quickly, and I don't have time to do justice to any of them. But this is a quick little Bible study on what the Bible says about the heart. Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, 
For as he thinks in his heart. I thought you think up here. Well, of course you do. But this is the wellspring. This is where things flow from. This is where your desires come from. As you think in your heart, so he is. I've also got Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 up there for you. A good man brings good things out of the things stored up in him. My, grand, my grandmother had a, had a sharp tongue. And we excuse that. Well, that's just mamma. Mamma had a heart problem, friends. Because the Bible says that from the overflow of the heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when I say something that's too sharp, when I say something that doesn't show the fruit of the Spirit, that's not a tongue problem, although the Bible talks a lot about the use of your tongue. That's a heart problem. From the abundance of my heart, or other translations say, from the overflow of my heart, the mouth speaks. Good things come from the good things that are in there. Evil things come from the evil. That's Jesus saying those things. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Be careful of an unbelieving heart. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none... He's talking to Christians. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And your heart can be a marvelous place. Philippians 4 says it's a place where peace dwells. Proverbs chapter 3 says it's a place where you can trust the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah, though, says our hearts can be desperately wicked and deceitful. This, this is the deal for us as Christians. Yeah, we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course we do. But here's the command center. This is what drives us. What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? It's a very long road from your... These 18 inches from my brain to my heart is a very long road. And we've all have done things that we know we shouldn't do. And why did we do them? Because our heart drives our actions. By self-discipline, I can force myself to do some things temporarily. But... Gritting my teeth will not overcome the desires of my heart because I eventually will go where my heart. So the prayer that I, we have to pray is God change my heart. We used to sing that chorus all the time. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. We'll come back to that verse later. Psalm 12, verse 2 says, everyone lies to their neighbors. They flatter with their lips and harbor deception bible says very good things about the heart but the bible says be careful your heart can fool you be careful about your heart it can do marvelous good it can be a place where you trust but it can also be a very deceitful place proverbs 28 14 says blessed is the one who always trembles for god who but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. I've told you this. When at 34 years, 34 years of age, when I finally got saved, I called my dad and told him and I got saved. And he says, your mother and I have always prayed that your heart would not get hard. Because he knew where I was living and he knew I was living in sin. And there's a hardness of the heart that, that, that can make you not hear as well as you should the truth of God's word. 
Blessed is the one who always trembles for God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Blessed is the one who who has the fear of God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart. Man, your heart is where it all goes, and it's where the whole thing is. Be careful of a proud heart. Be careful of a heart that has difficulty and can't admit a, a mistake. You know, we got this whole thing going on with, with the pandemic, and on both sides of the issue, hearts can get proud. On both sides of the issue, hearts can get proud on that. Be careful of a proud heart. Know your heart. I think it's the first thing. Above all else, guard your heart. For, because flowing from it come all the issues of life. Everything you do, know of the primacy of this thing called the heart. Sharp words come from the abundance of my heart. God, change my heart. God, don't let me say that again. It's just not change my tongue. God, get down and do deeper work in me. Tongue is a symptom. Tongue is, tongue is a surface issue. God, get down and do deeper work in me. Change my heart. So for the third time in ten and a half years, I'm preaching from the same passage because it's above all else. And one way to sabotage your faith is, is to, to do things with your will and do things out of your own gritting of your own teeth. And as my dad used to say, just grin and bear it. Yes, there's a time and there's a place for that, but that cannot change and overcome what's really, really, truly in your heart. After David sinned with Bathsheba, he says, create in me a clean heart. He didn't say, don't let me do that again. He didn't say, don't let me look down there again. He said, don't let me want to look down there again. Create in me a a clean heart. A pure heart is blessed, Jesus said, Matthew 5a. In the context of the passage, that's not all that's there. You got to know your heart and know that this is the control center of your life for everything you do that flows from it. But in the context of the passage, you've got to get truth into your heart because right before Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, you got three verses here that talk about God's truth. Proverbs 4.20 through 22 say this, my son, this is Solomon again speaking to his boy, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And health to one's whole body. I hope that you know that I try hard each week not to give you my opinion about stuff. I try to anchor everything I say in in God's word. And I'm not saying that to look for a pat on the back. I'm just saying that's what you should demand as a congregation. You don't come in here to hear a preacher tell what his opinion is about something because that is absolutely worthless. It's only God's truth that will set you free. And right before he says, above all else guards your heart, he's taught three straight verses about get God's truth. Hear this truth that I've told you, my son. Get this in your heart. 
I just talked to Levi about an issue going on in his life and the issue, I came straight to spiritual stuff because almost all the issues that are in our life that cause us a great bit of grief are spiritual issues. Are spiritual issues. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in all the, all the book of Psalms. And Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word, not in my head. We all know that's when I memorize God's word, our mind obviously has something to do with it. But it, it's, it's hidden in our hearts. Why does it need to be hidden in our heart? Because then it becomes active in the decision-making process in our life. So a lot of things stored up here that we don't act on. We all know that. This is where we act. And so that's why, why he says, above all else, guard your heart. Psalm 37, verse 31. The law of God is in our hearts. I don't tell Sue that I love her with all of my brain. Because when I say with all of my heart, it means everything. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. If this book is not true, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I, I don't know what I have to say to you. And you know what I also don't know? I don't know why how some people can pick and choose and say, I choose to believe that one, but I don't choose to believe this one. I choose to believe that chapter, but I don't choose to believe this chapter. The, if I say that, that makes me sovereign over the text. I've hidden your word in my heart, so I may not sin against you. And so the context first talks about no Know that the heart is the control center. Then it talks about getting truth. And then right after 423, which is guard your heart, it talks about making some good choices and it talks about some ways to guard your heart. And I don't have... One way you can preach this passage is just stay right here and take a, each week on one of these verses. But obviously I don't have time, so I'm just going to skim through on the good choices, on ways, actually practical ways that you can guard your heart. Proverbs 424 says, Keep your mouth free from perversity and corrupt talk far from your lips. When my talk is not right, that's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. My dear sweet grandmother that I love with all my heart, I can look at it honestly now at 62 years of age and say there was a heart issue for her. It was just not her, her maiden name was Morgan. It was just not her Morgan tongue. From the abundance and the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. What comes out of my mouth, good and bad, is a function of what's in my heart. So how is it I guard my heart? It's, it's a tip to me it, it, that, that if my words are not right, I need, I, need, I need heart work here. There's something going on. 
Sue asked me about something a couple of days ago, and, and I don't need to share you what it was, but she said, did you do this and did you do that? And I, and I said, uh, I, I chose not to do it because my heart wouldn't have been right if I'd done it. I may have something in, my, in, my, in myself had wanted to do that, but I could not do that in the fear of God because I know that would have been a heart issue. That would have showed a cold heart. There may be a place in my flesh that that would have pleased me, but that would have, I have enough fear of God not to do that because that would have shown a heart that's not right. Verse 25, right after, guard your heart. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyes look straight ahead. One condition, one way that you can judge the condition of your heart is, and this is just not a sexual thing, one of the, that you can judge the condition of your heart is, is what are your eyes attracted to? What draws your eyes? And we usually talk about that in a sexual way, but that, it doesn't only mean that. At 62 years of age and somebody that's getting ready to retire in about four years, I can spend a whole lot of time on my mutual funds <laughs> and trying to figure about how much money Am I going to have enough money? Will soon I be able to do what we want to do in retirement? And I can spend a whole lot of time on that instead of trusting the Lord with all my heart. And that doesn't mean I don't go to Mike Reed and have semi-annual meetings with him and we talk about all that. Of course, that, that, your brain's in that. But there's a lot of things that my eyes can be drawn to. A lot of worldly things, not necessarily sexual things, that I get attracted to those things. And I spend too much time on those things. There's a lot of issues like that. There's a lot of issues for all of us, and they're probably different for all of us. Be careful where your eyes go. We talk to teenagers many times about, you know, sexual temptation and the wandering of the eyes, and obviously that's, that's not a teenage issue and we can't help our eyes seeing them. We live in the world, so we can't help from our eyes seeing some things. But when we see something, we don't have to go back and look at it again. That's a heart issue when you go back and look at it again. The first Somebody told me a long time ago, and I, I can't remember who it was, but it was in Des Moines, Iowa, at a conference I heard this. The first look is free, but the second look is sin. You can't help from things coming in front of your eyes when you live in a world. You can't help from things. But I don't have to look back at there, at it again. That's, that's a hard issue. I can't help but thinking of some things. My, my mind is weird, and weird thoughts pop into our heads, right? We wouldn't ever, wouldn't, things we wouldn't even tell anybody, right? Weird things pop into our heads. You know what, they, what you do when those things pop into your head? You, you don't take those thoughts and you don't fondle them. You say, well, Lord, that's about the weirdest thing I've ever thought of in my life. <laughs> but what do you do? Do you take it and do you fondle it and you think about it and you roll it over in your mind? That's not guarding your heart. God, don't let me think about that again. God, do, do more work down in here, God. Lord, I don't want to think about those things. And I, I don't think we'll ever be free totally from all of that in our lives because we live in a world and... and I, but, but when those things do come into our mind, how do we react, from, react to that? 
We don't fondle that thought and play with that thought and run it around in our heads. And an hour later, I'm still thinking about that thought. And that's what, we're, what it says in Proverbs 4.26. Ponder your, give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Where you go. Where you go. Because where you go, there will be people there. And before we get done with this series, we'll talk about how your friends, you will sabotage your faith if your friends are not productive. And no one likes this. And because it sounds judgmental, it sounds bad, but let me tell you, if you don't break with some of your friends, you will not live a productive Christian life. That doesn't sound good. That sounds judgmental. That sounds bigoted. That sounds hateful. I know that. But... Every one of us, if we've been serious about our Christian life, we know that to be true. Well, how do you affect an unbelieving world? Well, there's a whole lot of difference between whom I'm friends with and I I allow it to influence me than all the other many acquaintances in this world that I have. Watch the paths of your feet. Watch where you go because there's people there. Friends, the world, I just stepped on my communion thing. Somebody just said, watch the path of my feet. Now we're going to have to spend $50 cleaning up grape juice off of the thing now. Is there any way I can get you all back now? Hey. Have you found out, have you lived long enough to know the crowd's not right? The crowd's not right. I don't know what this totally means, but Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And, and a whole lot of folks are on it, Jesus said, Matthew 7. And then he said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are going to find it. I'm not sure I know what that means, Totally. But maybe we all just do exactly what it says. <laughs> Watch where you go. The paths of your feet. You can't help but being influenced. And that leads us into the last verse as well. It says, don't turn to the right or to the left. Don't turn to the right or to the left. And that's kind of a narrow path kind of, of, of verse as well. God has given us a way to live. And in my, in my human mind, I can rationalize things. I can rationalize and say, well, you know, he didn't really mean that. And, you know, and, and, you know it didn't really mean that. And that's been a wrong interpretation. We've interpreted that wrong for 2,000 years. That's wrong. And, and, but he's given us a way to go. And he says, don't turn from it. The path is narrow. The path is narrow. I wish it wasn't narrow. I, do, I could just tell you, everybody's going to heaven. I wish I could just preach every single person that I've buried into heaven. I wish I could do that because, you know, we're just, we're just, let's just be universalist. And let's just pretend that this book doesn't talk about it hell. But the Bible says don't swerve to the right or to the left. The way is narrow. And few are going to find it. Now, I'm not 100% sure what I mean, what that means. I'm not 100% sure. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Just the, and, and the crowd is not right. You've lived long enough to know the crowd will not be right. It's the few that are right. 
because the crowd all goes with each other and they want to be cool because they're hanging with each other and all want to be woke together. Narrow is the way, the Bible says. And few will find it. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. At the very end of this book, at the end of Revelation, it says don't add anything to this book or take anything away from it. I think that's like two verses to the very end of the whole Bible. It says don't add anything to this or don't take anything away from it. And we, as the Christians, have been guilty of both. Adding and taking away. I was just reading on some, it's a, it's a Nazarene site on Facebook. It's, called, it's just basically pastors that are on it. And, and, and some pastor asked a question about, what is it about, where is it in the Bible that talks about at the, during the end times you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything unless you got the mark of the beast? And... Well, that's in Revela- I think it's Revelation 13 that says you've got at, at, during the end times that you're going to have to have some kind of mark. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. Is that literal? I don't really know. Is it, is it symbolic? I don't really know. You've never heard me preach a sermon on the book of Revelation in the ten and a half years I've lived here because I don't understand it. But, but he asked this question about the mark of the beast. And can I tell you that the COVID-19 vaccination is not the mark of the beast? Can I tell you that? Okay. Whatever you think about that, it's not the mark of the beast. All right. And, and, and um, so somebody wrote back and says, well, you know, that passage is just imagery. You can't believe that. That's not good biblical hermeneutics to believe that passage that one day that we're going to have a mark and you're not going to be able to buy or sell without the mark. Well, let me tell you something. Believing that that may come true one day is no harder for me to believe than God left his heavenly home and came to this world to die for our sins. it's It's not any harder for me to believe that one day you may need a mark I don't, know. I don't know if that's symbolic or, or really will happen. I don't know. But it's not any harder for me to believe that than it is that one day that God parted the Red Sea. It's not any harder for me to believe that than one day that God made a flood and he saved about seven or eight people, however many did in the ark. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Be very careful on what you say. Well, that's not true. That's not true. How can that be true? Well, how can it be true that God left his heavenly home and came to this earth to die on a cross for you? How can that be true? Don't swerve to the right. Broad is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a whole lot of folks on it, Jesus said. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And few will find it. And I just think we better take that for what it says. Well, let me finish. In this whole area of your heart, i got to tell you a statement that's absolutely true. The secret in your life of life change. In Christianity, the, 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 the synonym for Christianity is, is life change. Christianity is just not making a, a transaction that you believe in Jesus and you're going to heaven, and there's, you know, there's no semblance of any life change in your heart. That is not biblical under, understanding of Christianity. A, a synonym for Christianity is change. And the secret of life change 
It's not the discipline of your will, even though there are things that we have to discipline. But the secret, the core, the very crux of this is not gritting my teeth and I'm going to do it if it kills me. The secret of it is the desires of my heart. Because for a while, for a while, I can discipline myself and force me to do something. That that will happen for a while, but the desires of my heart will overcome that eventually. Because my will will bow to the desires of my heart eventually. I can discipline myself for a while. I can discipline myself and make myself go the why and work out just out of sheer discipline for a while. But unless I have a true desire in my heart that I've got to get healthier, unless I truly believe that unless I make this heart healthier, unless that's truly desire of me, I won't be able to maintain that just by gritting my teeth. And real life change comes from God doing deep, deep work in our hearts. That's why Jesus said in Proverbs 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the people that have had heart change. I don't believe there's a single place that in this word says that just because our hearts are right with God and he's done deep, deep work in our, in our hearts, that all of a sudden that that we are incapable of, of sinning or anything like that. But friends, don't ever doubt there's deep, deep, deeper work than salvation. Deeper work than salvation. And it comes post-salvation. No one bends their knee at an altar or prays or sinner's prayer and has any clue of the heart work that has to happen in your life. First Thessalonians 5.23, Paul's prayer for Christian people was that they be entirely sanctified. His prayer for Christian people in 523. Entirely sanctified means to be set apart. I, I pray that you would be entirely set apart to God. He prayed that for Christian people. He told him in 4.3 of Thessalonians that it's God's will that you would be sanctified. Older translations of 523 says that you would be sanctified holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. There's a second time, friends, and we preach this in the Church of the Nazarene since our inception, that God does deep, deep, deep work in your heart. So this Christian life is not laborious. This Christian life is not a ball and chain. This Christian life is not grit your teeth. This Christian life is not grin and bear. But this Christian life flows from the desires of your heart because your heart has been changed. That's who we are. God's arm is not shortened. And he can do in my heart whatever I choose for him to do. His arm is not shortened. You do not have to stay that way the rest of your life. God, would you do deeper work? Deeper work. Eight months after I was saved, I knelt at an altar at Hughes Auditorium in, in Asbury College and, and asked that God would do deep work in my heart. That's how you guard your heart. <laughs> and a lot of people are scared of this because they think, well, if I, if I get that serious with God, then I'm going to have to wear my hair up in a bun or something like that. You know, <laughs> this is not what we're talking about. 
It's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it. After David's sin, and remember now, New Testament looks back at David's life and calls him a man after God's own heart. After David's horrible sin, he says, God created in me a clean heart. It was, that was a heart issue for him. That wasn't a moment of sexual temptation for him. And even those moments of sexual temptation are real. That flowed from his heart, his desires. He says, God, don't let me desire that. Don't let me desire that ever again. Take that from me. That's how you guard your heart. We can do all these things about your eyes and your feet and your tongue, and all that's well and good. That's well and good. But getting serious with God and asking him to totally change this. Do you want that? You know what I found? I'll just be honest with you. friends. I found everybody doesn't want that. Everybody's just cool with going to heaven. And we're not talking about a heaven or hell issue here, by the way. We're We're talking about having the fullness of God in your life. And you wonder why some people are like Meryl and Denny Thornton and some people after walking with the Lord for 60 years aren't like Meryl and Denny Thornton? It's a heart. It's been heart work. They've submitted for God's deep, deep work and change in their life. That's how you guard your heart. And the scripture says, above all else. If you don't guard your heart, if you're not careful about it, you'll sabotage your faith. You'll sabotage your faith. Be protective of it. Be zealous about it. Be jealous of it. Pray about it. God, God, that, what I just said right there shows that you've got to do deeper work. Do it, God. Do it again. You may have to pray that prayer a hundred times. Pray, God, deeper work. I think there's a time in my life that my heart can be pure to God, but that still doesn't mean I won't, may not have a mature Christian character. There's a difference between a clean and a pure heart and a mature Christian character. Mature Christian character comes after years and years and years of walking with God. A mature heart can come upon when you ask him to do deep, deep work there. A, a pure heart, a clean heart. My boys can have a clean heart toward God, but they're still 18 and 16 and they're going to do stupid stuff. They're not mature. And it's the same thing for a Christian. You can have a pure heart toward God, but you may not be mature in your character. Yeah, that takes a while. Paul says in Hebrews that, that I, cannot, I couldn't feed you solid food. I had to feed you milk because you were still infants in the faith. Change my heart, oh God. That's where it's at. And I want you. I want you to want that. You know what? But it doesn't make any difference what I want. You got to want it yourself. You got to want it yourself. 
and the power and the blood of Jesus. The same power that can get you out of hell. Can totally revolutionize your life. And so you don't have to sin in every day in word, thought, and deed like some people think you have to. God, listen, he is, he is not an impotent God. He can do whatever you ask him to do in your life. And in August of 1993, I asked him to save me. In April of 1993, I asked him to sanctify me. And by faith, I got up and took that. And my life has not been perfect since then. But there's been something about my Christian walk that's been different than a lot of people. It's more serious for me than a lot of people. And that's not because I'm such a good and grit and bear Christian. It's because I've had a change in my heart. It's not that I'm so self-disciplined. It's because I've had a change in my heart and I ask him to change it. I've asked him a hundred times to change it. So we thank you for the power that's in the blood of Jesus and that was first talked about and on the night that he was betrayed. And so he says, would you take into me what you need and a symbol of me living in you and let's do that by, by bread. And so he said to do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in memory of me. Jesus, I preached the very, very meat of the word this morning. It's so meaty that a lot of new Christians don't yet understand it and get it. But those of us that have been walking on the way for a while and truly know the depths of the deceitfulness of our heart know about this deep, deep heart change that we all need. So God, I pray that will guard our hearts in all the practical ways to do that, but in that one big way that allowing you to sanctify our hearts entirely and make us wholly yours and make our, make our motives pure. You'll bring us along as we continue to walk with you and you'll, you'll grow us up into maturity, but let us have a heart that desires you first and foremost may we do what Matthew 6:33 says to seek you first so take these words that I've tried to preach this morning and and use them according to your will in Jesus name amen